Well, if you have a Bible, you're going to want to take it out and turn to the book of 1 John. If uh, you don't know where 1 John is, that's all right. There's a table of contents for you in the front of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you on the round tables. Get up now and get one. There's no, um, no uh, harm in that. Please do that. Uh, take it and read it. Uh, we are actually in a, a midst of a series on 1 John, and we're coming to the end of it. And as such, we're kind of looking at some themes to close it up. And as we do so, I'll be looking at, as was just read for us, portions throughout the book. And so you're going to want to have your Bible open so you can flip around for that. But as we begin, let me pray for us. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, the thoughts of all of our hearts, be pleasing, acceptable in your sight. And may we see Jesus, our strength and our redeemer. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I mentioned it last week that people will say to me quite often, uh, Kyle, I'm fascinated. They find I'm a a pastor and they say, Kyle, I'm fascinated uh, by Jesus. I'm fascinated by his teaching. I'm fascinated by his life. But I'm just not so sure that I can accept Christianity and the claims of Christianity. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can't. And, uh, and when people say that to me, I always ask myself the question, I wonder how much of Jesus' teaching they've actually read. I mean, it's, it is an honest question. I would suppose the most popular saying that uh, Jesus ever said um, today is, do not judge. People are very fond of reminding, especially Christians, that Jesus said, do not judge. And... Um, and Jesus did say, do not judge. And, and I think that's a good thing. We need to be reminded of that. And in a world, in a graceless world, in a world full of judgment, we could all use a little grace. But Jesus, he said, do not judge, not because he didn't believe in judgment or a judgment. He actually spoke about the judgment all the time. In fact, he said, do not judge precisely because he believed that there was going to be a judgment. And therefore, we're to put off judging because God, in the form of Jesus Christ, will judge. And Jesus spoke about it so much that it it ends up in uh, as one of the central tenets of early Christian confessions. And he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead. See, Jesus said, put off judging because there will be a judgment. And Jesus, he said some startling things about the judgment. You know, only 20 verses after he said, do not judge, at the end of Matthew 7, he writes, uh, we read these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus says that many, many will tell him on that day, we think we know you. And he will say, I do not know you. Many. Let that wash over you for a second. How do you know whether or not you're one of the many? 
who thinks they know God, but is actually not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. In other words, how do you know that you know God? How can you be sure? We had a Connect class yesterday where introducing people to the beliefs of our church, and, and this question came up. Someone asked me, but how do you know, how can you be sure that you really have been born again, that you really have a new life, that you have a vibrant and vital and saving and eternal relationship with God? How do you know? It's a good question. And there's no better place to turn to answer that question than the book of 1 John. See, as we've been looking at the book of 1 John, what we've seen is that John is writing to give us assurance. John is writing that we might know that we know God. He wants us to know that. In fact, at the end of the book in 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may have eternal life. I write these things that you may know, that you may know, that you know God in a vibrant, vital, saving, eternal way. So how do you know? Well, John, throughout the letter, he gives us these diagnostic tests. And these tests, they fall in of one of two categories. The first category, a category that we looked at last week, is what we call the doctrinal test. Uh, diagnostic test about what you believe. John says that if you want to know whether you know God or not, then you need to ask the question, what do I believe about Jesus? Because those who know God and those who have an intimate relationship with God know what God thinks about Jesus, that he is the son of God and that he is the savior of the world. So that's the first thing. But there's another test, a test that we have to look at this week. That's not the only question that we need to ask. The second question that we need to ask concerns what we call the ethical test or behavioral test. Or, or, or it's the question, how do you live in light of Jesus? And see, belief and behavior, John, he thinks that these two things are inseparable, that they're intimately related, that they're both vital tests. Let me prove it to you. In John 3.24, turn there, look there, John 3.24, First John 3.24, that is. Sorry, I just wanted to have you flip real fast. It's like Bible drill. First John 3.24 we read, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. That is, the one who abides in God, the one who has a vibrant, vital, saving relationship with God in Jesus Christ, that is the person who keeps his commandments. Now, what are the commandments? Well, verse 23. And this is the commandment. This is the commandment. That we believe in the name of the Son of God, or that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. This is the commandment. The singular commandment breaks up into two parts. That we believe in the name of the Son of God, and that we love one another. That is, that the commandment is belief in Jesus and love for one another. And for John, that's a singular commandment, you see. This is the commandment. This is how we know. This is the vital test. And so you see, they're inseparable for John, but not so much for us. Because let's be honest, um, we, often, we often put asunder what John has joined together. 
I mean, just think about it. Uh, there usually people think in their minds of two broad categories of churches. There are conservative churches, and conservative churches tend to focus on a correct belief, doctrine, and even correct belief about ethics. And then there are progressive churches, and progressive churches, they tend to focus on radical love, inclusion, especially of the least and the marginalized. And, and so here's the question, are, are we a conservative church or a progressive church? Well, I hope that we're Jesus' church, and because of that, those categories don't make any sense. Because they don't make any sense in 1 John. See, John says that it's a false choice, correct belief, and radical love. That the two actually are inseparable. That right belief about Jesus and radical love in light of Jesus are both vital signs of knowing God. And you know this, I'm not saying anything new that those of you who grew up on the children's catechism do not know. And if you were asked my daughter, if you were to ask my daughter, who will be saved? She would look at you and she would say this. Everyone who turn around from sin, who believe in Jesus and live for him. Everyone who turns around from sin, believes in Jesus and lives for him. That's who will be saved. Right? That is the telltale signs of who will be saved. And even if you didn't grow up on the catechism, you know this. You know this because you know that you need both. Because you know that, that doctrine without love, well, then you don't have the heart of Christ. You don't have the compassion of Christ. You don't have what attracted and attracts sinners to Jesus. But love without doctrine, well, then you lose the power of Christ. Because if Jesus is not God, if he is not the Son of God, then, then he can't die for my sins, and he can't defeat death and, and raise from the dead. And, and if, if all Jesus is, if all he gives me is, is some teaching and an example, well, that's not good news for me. Because I need radical change. I don't need some instructions. I, 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 don't, need, I don't need some rules about how to live a better life. I need the good news of a new life. And so you need both. Uh, both are vital signs of knowing Jesus. And I use that word vital intentionally. I mean, think about it like this. If I were to ask you, uh, which one would you rather lose? Which one would you rather do without? Would you rather do without your heart or your brain? What do you say? Which one? Which one do you want to prioritize? Which one is more important for you? Well, they're both vital. They're equally important. It doesn't make any sense. You have to have both. It's like going to a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, and having chips without salsa. You can't have that. You have to have both. I mean, have you ever, I was sitting at a restaurant the other night, and, uh, and, and I had all this salsa, but there were no chips. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? I've got like six things of amazing salsa lined up, but I have no chips. Are you going to dip your finger in there? No though I may have. <laughs> or you are at a Mexican restaurant and they don't bring the salsa out, but you get this, this hot thing of chips. And the chips are there and there's no salt and there's no salsa. And what are you supposed to do with that? You got to have them both, right? It just doesn't make sense. Well, in the same way, 
the exact same rate, really. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> you have to have both correct belief and radical love in light of Jesus. So let me ask you, how are your vital signs? How are your vital signs? We looked at one vital sign last week. What does your vital sign tell you? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he is the son of God? And do you believe that he is the savior of the world? How's your vital sign? And we have to ask another question, another vital sign this week. How are you living in light of Jesus? Just listen to some of these passages. Turn to them as they come. They're going to be on the screen. Just listen to what John says. John 2, 3, and 4. John writes, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 3.10, by this it is evident, by this it is manifest, by this it is clear who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John 4.7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone that does not love does not know God because God is love. And John goes on later on in the chapter in verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now these words... They're challenging, are they not? Because John says very clearly, very directly, that if you want to have assurance that you have a vibrant and vital relationship with God, then you actually, you have to follow him. You have to be obedient to him, especially you have to love others. That if you don't love your brother, then you don't know God for 20 that's what John is saying. And that's, that's hard. I mean, the commandments are hard. And loving other Christians, that's really hard. I mean, just, I mean, probably three times over the last week and a half, I found myself having to rein in my words about things that I was saying about other Christians, other ministers. What am I supposed to do with this? It raises lots of questions, doesn't it? It raises lots of questions like, what about my son or daughter? What about my friend or spouse? What about my father or mother? What about me? Do their lives measure up? Does my life measure up? up. And, and wait a second, I thought God's love was supposed to be unconditional. I mean, if God's love is unconditional, then what are we supposed to do with these ifs? By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments, if 
chapter 2, verse 3. What are we supposed to do with these ifs? You know him if you love him. You know him if you obey him. What are we supposed to do with these ifs? I mean, they can sound like a threat, don't they? They sound like a threat because they sound like, uh, to many of us, that our relationship with God is contingent upon our obedience. And, and that's very threatening and it's very scary because it, it confirms a deep suspicion within most of us that God's love really isn't unconditional. And that, that the more that I obey God and the more that I love others, the more he accepts me the more he's pleased to be with me. And deep down, most of us, we, we believe this. We might not confess it, but we believe that that's why we self-sabotage and why we self-loathe. It's why when we mess up a little, we give up a lot. Because we think, what's the point? I've blown it. I'm a failure. What's the use in trying? But to read John that way, to read John as saying that your standing before God is contingent upon your obedience, well, that is to misread 1 John. As the New Testament scholar Judith Liu says, behavior for John, for, for, the, for the author of 1 John, behavior can in no way, even misconceived, be seen as creating or maintaining a relationship with God. It is rather the fruit and the test of such a relationship and therefore an aspect of it. And we can see this plainly in the tenses. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him, have come to know him already, if we keep his commandments. Or chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed, have already passed from death to life because we love the brothers. You see, these things, uh, loving the brothers and keeping the commandments, they are not the cause of our relationship with God. They are its consequence. They are not the basis, but the fruit. We love, John says, we love, chapter 4, verse 19, because he first loved us. So to, to read John as saying that our relationship with God is contingent upon our obedience, well, that is to misread John. Let me be as straightforward as possible. Your obedience, including your love for other Christians, does not affect God's love for you, not one whit. It does not put you in better or worse favor before God. Okay. So why does God give us this test? Right? I mean, if his love is unconditional, and why does he give us this test? Because while obedience doesn't earn acceptance with God, it can be a subjective measure by which we understand if we have received God's love. Let me say that again. Because while obedience doesn't earn acceptance with God, it can be a subjective measure by which we can understand that we have received God's love. You see, John says in 1 John 2.5, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. The idea of perfected means to reach its intended goal, to reach its telos. See, God's love has a goal in your life, and it will accomplish that goal. 
When you receive God's love, then that, God lo- that love will work itself out in your life, in your life, in obedience and love for others. It will. And if God's love works itself out in love and obedience in our lives, then we can legitimately ask ourselves, have I experienced God's love? Do I love others? Do I obey God? Now, what is the characteristic of my life? Not a moment, not an instance, not even a week, but a month, or a year, or a decade, or a half a century. What does your life look like? Is your life characterized by love for others and obedience to God? Do you love what God loves? Because you know what God loves? You know what God loves more than anything else in the whole created order? God loves his people. God loves Christians. God loves the church. It is for the church that he took on flesh. It is for the church that he lived and overcame Satan. It is for the church that he died It is for the church that he rose again and reigns on high, and it is for the church that he is bringing all things under submission to himself. It is for your brother and your sister in Christ. God loves the church. And if we know God, and we know the heart of God, and we know the love of God, then we are going to love what he loves I had a pastor in Cambridge, England. His name was Ian Hamilton. And one time, Ian was debating someone on a matter of theology, and it was a public debate. And in the midst of this debate, where they disagreed fiercely on this matter of theology, uh, Ian said, who was very gracious the entire debate, he said, far be it from me to besperse the name of one for whom Christ died. Far be it from me. And I wish it were far from me. Far be it from me to besmirch the name of one for whom Christ died. See, the the people that we are tempted not to love and to reject, those are the people who Jesus, he shed his precious blood for. They are very valuable to him. You are very valuable to him. And so if God loves the church enough to die for the church, then we can love the church enough to be patient with her. John Stott, the rector at All Souls Langham Place in London, he put it like this, claiming to know God while failing to love others is like claiming to have an intimate knowledge of a foreigner while remaining ignorant of his or her native tongue. See, God's love is perfected in us and when we love others. And if we, we have to know God's language. If we know God, we'll know his language, and his language is love. His language is love. And so Jesus, in the Gospel of John, 1335, said this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you, uh, if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, and all people include you. By this, you will know that you are his disciple if you have love for your fellow Christians. 
you know, some of you, this is what this means. Some of you are wrestling with assurance of God's love for you, of your standing before him. And, uh, and, here, and here's the reason why. It's because of your sin. It's because your sin hinders you from knowing deeply and truly the love that God has for you. It's because your sin and your lack of love for your fellow Christian, uh, it will hinder you from knowing the love that God has for you, from a full experience of the love that God has for you. Because, because you see, when you obey God and when you, when you love others, uh, what you do is you get close to God. And when you get close to God, you, you start to understand the heart of God. And what you understand about the heart of God is this that his heart for you is not contingent upon your obedience. See, the closer you get to God, the more you know that his love for you is not contingent upon your obedience. But, but being close to God means actually following him and obeying him and loving others. Do you see how it works? And God, he makes this, uh, he gives us this test because he loves you. Because he doesn't want you to be self-deceived. He doesn't want you to think that you have an intimate and vibrant relationship with him when you don't. He doesn't want you to think that you are a true disciple when you aren't. He doesn't want you to think that, and he he cares. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to pursue self-destructive behaviors because failing to love is self-destructive. John says, um, the one who does not love his brother abides in death. It's a life of death. And God wants you to live. And so God wants you to love. And so God gives you this test. But you say, Kyle, I, I look at my life and, and I don't see love and obedience. So what do I do? And here's the temptation. The temptation is to go from that to say, okay, I'm going to come out of here. I'm going to leave this morning and I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder to keep the commandments. I'm going to try harder to love God. But but that would deal with the symptom and not the root. You see, if love for others and obedience to God is is the fruit and not the root of a relationship with God, then it doesn't do to deal with the it doesn't do to deal with the fruit and not the root. It won't help. You actually have to go to the root of the problem. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, the, the answer is not to keep his commandments better. The answer is to fall in love with Jesus deeper. And when we fall in love with Jesus deeper and we understand his love for us because we understand his love for us, we will love others See, what you need to come to see is that God is love and the love he has for you. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And that's what you need to see, that God is love, and God loves you, and that love is not contingent. And then you can have a freedom to love others and to obey God. And when you do that, the more you do that, the more you will draw closer to God, the more you will come to see the heart of God, the more you will learn 
of God. And what will you learn about God? You'll learn that his love is an ocean. And his love for you, that it is uncontingent. That his love for you is real. That he sought you and he bought you and he will hold on to you till the end. And then, at that point, then you will have assurance. Then you will have boldness on the day of judgment 417 because you will know God's perfect love which drives out all fear. So that's why we love. That's why we love God. That's why we love others. That's why we obey because we want to know the heart of God for us. And that's how we get assurance. Not by looking at us, but by looking at him and his love. His love, which was displayed in the cross of Christ. Amen.